I just, uh, I'm sure you're experiencing some of what I'm experiencing, having all those kids up here singing and um, leading us. So something that, oh, it sounds weird. Can you hear me? Okay, we'll, we'll go with it. Um, I think hopefully you're experiencing this kind of the same way I am, that when the kids get up and sing like that, I am just drawn into the presence of God in a way that is uh, unlike no other. And um, I love Joy Express. I love what they do. And uh, one of the things that Chris and I have believed and really been actively involved in for since 19, what, 76, over 40 years now, holy cow, is... Um, that we believe that kids can minister for Jesus and can lead the church at times, and that that is a significant thing. That just um, that they are not—they're not the future of the church. They're the present of the church. They're—they're they're now, and um, we experienced that this morning. And I'm so grateful. And uh, parents, thank you for getting up getting them up early, getting them ready, and bringing them in today, and um, it's just a huge blessing, don't you think? Yeah, I just, whew. So, uh, we missed a lot of you last week, and uh, it was the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and we are, we have, a, we have an emphasis, a journey emphasis during this season as we are anticipating Holy Week and Easter, we are on this journey. We're asking God to lead us to the cross. And this is taken from one of our, um, one of our favorite worship songs, Lead Me to the Cross. You know it. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. And um, so we're on this journey we're asking Jesus to show us things along the way, and today we come to this interaction between the scribe and Jesus in Mark chapter 12, and this man, this man now, he, he would have been a, a scholar, a member of the religious group called the Pharisees. It doesn't tell us that in our text, but the Sadducees are mentioned earlier. They're one of the religious groups that were actually very powerful, usually kind of rich folks, they were a minority, but they were very powerful, and they, had, they were actually responsible for placing a lot of the high priests and, and people in power. The Pharisees were more the common people's uh, religious group. Maybe not as powerful, but very popular, and um, they were unique for a couple of reasons. Pharisees, uh, first of all, it, they were unique because they believed in the possibility of the resurrection. Now, this made them different than the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, and as we learned in Sunday school, that's why they were, you see, yeah, okay. So, the Pharisees, however, they did believe that there was a resurrection coming someday, and in some ways, they were ready to consider what eventually happened to Jesus, and therefore, um, all who became Jesus' disciples, namely, that death would be conquered, and that resurrection would happen not only for Jesus, but all who followed Jesus. They would experience eternity with God because of the resurrection. 
And the Pharisees were actually more ready to consider such a thing. So that's one point. Another thing that also makes the scribal Pharisees interesting is that they were particularly interested in what we would call Old Testament laws. Levitical laws. From the book of Leviticus, largely. And we know that, that the Apostle Paul, for instance, was a Pharisee. And he actually bragged about himself a little bit in, in Philippians chapter 3 that he obeyed the laws to the letter. And so in this interaction between Jesus and this pharisaical scribe, this becomes super important, obedience to the laws. So hold that thought, stay tuned for that in a minute. Okay, so Jesus is, as we said last week, he's in Jerusalem, and he's having conversations with the local Bible scholars. And as you might imagine, this could get rather loud and heated. These Jewish Bible scholars held their opinions very strongly and they expressed them sometimes loudly. And this scribe, we don't know his name, he was walking along as you can imagine, and he overhears this loud conversation happening. You know how this works, right? When you hear a conversation in, in your area, I can be walking through a crowd of people, and if I hear someone talking about Irish music, I, I immediately think, oh, you know, I love Irish music. So it, it catches your attention, right? If you hear someone talking about whether it's sports or something else, cooking, and you're really interested in that, your ears perk up. And so this is what happens to him. This, scri this scribe draws near because they're talking about something that he knows about. And when the time comes, he asks his question. The question is this. Jesus, teacher, which commandment is the first of all? Great question. This is, the, this, is, this is the same category of question as this one. You've been asked this before. If your house were on fire and you only had three minutes to grab some things and get out, aside from your, your family, you know, assuming they're already out in the yard and you've got three minutes to, to get something out of your house because everything's going to be gone, what would you grab in those three minutes? Money? A family heirloom? A few pictures? Have you thought about this? And then the house is gone. And it's a mere heap of smoldering ashes. And there you stand, and you look down, and you've got a few possessions there that you have rescued. This collection of possessions would actually be a good indication of where your priorities lie. The things that you grabbed from your house. So this is the kind of question he's asking Jesus. There's a lot of commandments in the Old Testament. It's a whole house full of commandments. Of all the commands, 
Remember, this is a scholar who is particularly interested in these commands. So many to choose from. Which is really the highest priority? Which command really matters? And Jesus answers by quoting the Shema. You know about this? These are the words that are sung at the beginning of all morning and evening worship services in the Jewish religion. And they have been from time immemorial. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. It's actually a quote from the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It reads this. This, this is the whole thing, uh, or part of the first part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Sound familiar? And all of your soul, with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. And it goes on and talks about saying them in the morning and the evening, teaching them to your children, binding them to your, your, to your forehead, putting them on your doorpost, on your gate, going and coming, all that. This is what is said at the beginning of every worship service, morning and evening. So Jesus answers by quoting the Shema, and he passes the test. However, something else happens. He continues and names a second command. Now, this is really interesting because as far as we know, Jesus was the first one to ever link these two together in this way. We are, you know, followers of Jesus. We think of this all the time. You know, the first commandment and the second commandment, this is, you know, we always learn this. We learned this in Sunday school. It's very familiar to us. But to the Jews, they had never heard these two commands side by side. And Jesus was the first one, as far as we know, to put these two together. He puts it together with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's another quote from Torah, but this time from the book of Leviticus chapter 19. Now here's why this is interesting. The Leviticus quote is actually a summary statement from Leviticus 19 from a chapter that also says things like this. Leave your field for the sojourner to glean. Verse 9 and following. Do not steal, deal falsely, or profane God. Verse 11 and following. Do not oppress the neighbor. Exploit employees or discriminate against the disabled. Verse 13 following. Do no injustice or show partiality in judgment or slander or witness against the neighbor. Verse 15 and following, all from Leviticus chapter 19. So, in quoting from this chapter, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus is actually bringing all these to mind because he's speaking to somebody who probably, guess what, has the whole thing memorized. It was not unusual for Bible scholars to have memorized the Torah. You know what the Torah is? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Five books, all memorized. How many of you have the Torah memorized? Okay, come on, let's get started. <laughs> it's very, very common 
for, for Jews in middle life especially, teachers especially, to have the whole thing memorized. So if he quotes from Leviticus 19, this scholar is thinking of all these other commands. If you read Mark's gospel carefully, these commands are precisely the ones violated all the time by the powerful religious elite in Jesus' day, especially the scribes. So Jesus' answer was so incredibly incisive. It was like a surgical strike right to the heart of the, this religious scholar's place of authority and pride. It's a remarkable answer. And by asking a basic question, even the seemingly safe basic question, this scholar received much more than he bargained for. So the story doesn't end there. Because Jesus' answer inspired the scribe then to respond. And what he says reveals something surprising about him that I find fascinating. The scribe basically paraphrased what Jesus said back to him and added an unexpected detail. He said that Jesus' summary of the commands was so much more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's talking about the temple, which is probably right behind them. What Jesus said is more important than what's going on with all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. His point is, what Jesus said about these commands is more significant than the religious system of which he is a leader. In essence, this scribe was willing in public to criticize his own group, his own side. I mean, we need to just kind of stop and say, wow, what is going on here? I believe it's for this reason that Jesus' response to him was this. You are not far from the kingdom. Not far. Hmm. I'd like to think about that comment for a moment. Not far from the kingdom of God. What does that mean to be not far from the kingdom of God? Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' comment this way. You're almost there. Right on the border of God's kingdom. You know, Borders are interesting places, kind of curious. I've had a lot of border experiences in the last 17 years. Beginning, beginning in 2001, we went to Europe with the Seattle Children's Chorus. It was my first time going to Europe in 2001. It was actually just about four months before 9-11 which was the advent of the TSA and checkpoints and long security lines. So I remember going to the airport and somebody forgot something. We called Brandon Bailey and said, Brandon, we forgot. Somebody's, um, oh, it might have been you. <laughs> That's right. It was Chris's, Chris's performance stress or something like that. Anyway, 
we said, Brandon, we got it. You know, so he ran to our house and grabbed it and drove to the airport and brought it right to the gate to us. Um, you could never do that anymore. But things changed, didn't they? Borders got a lot more interesting after 9-11. We became much more aware that when you cross a border into another kingdom, things change. You know, on that first trip to Europe, I remember coming home with a very vivid sense of kingdom differences. That first day, we flew into Norway. That first, it was the third week of June. It was a Friday night. And it was the night of the Sanktasaften. You have to emphasize the last syllable. Sanktasaften. It's a celebration of the first night of summer, sometimes also called St. John's Night. In Sweden, they call it Midsommar. And they do similar things all through Scandinavia. I'll never forget. All these people gathered around, uh, gathered outdoors at night, their faces shining in the light of giant bonfires. You could see them. We, we were landing in the, in the western seaport town of Bergen, and you could look out the window, and you could see all these fires everywhere. And I, I was thinking, is the country on fire? What's going on? But they were, people were gathering outdoors, and it's like this amazing thing. After the long, dark winter, families, friends, communities together celebrating, gathered around these bonfires. It was really a beautiful thing. I was just so aware. Things are different here. We experienced something similar a, few, a couple of years later in, in Italy, Bologna, Italy. We got off the train. There was people everywhere, midnight. People were having parties in the middle of the night. People up all night. Communities gathering together. Things are different in different places in the, in the world. I remember coming home and thinking, it's not necessarily better, but it's not worse. It's different. When you go to a different land, you cross a border, things are done differently. Here's my point. Jesus chose to talk about what he was doing as kingdom work. He often spoke of the kingdom of God as a place to go or, or as a reality that was coming. And I think what comes with this is the sense that things are done differently in God's kingdom. And we see it here in this exchange with the scribe. In the kingdom of God, there are concerns that are more important than temple sacrifices and religious observances. Loving God with all you are and loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the most important things in God's kingdom. So here's this scribe. We don't know what happened to him after this. But perhaps these words are ringing in his ears as he walks away. You're close, almost there. You're right on the border of God's kingdom. It's, it's a bit tragic, really. Close, but not quite. Have you ever been close, but not quite there? In, a, in, in that first trip to Europe, we, we took some time at the end of it and we went to Vienna, Austria. 
We, we decided, though, not to go any further east than Vienna. And I got to tell you, I've regretted it ever since. It would have been... It would have been my one chance to see the former Soviet Union from the inside. Within a relatively short distance from Vienna is the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary. These are places I would love to see. And now 15 years have gone by and, and, to, think, and to think I was that close to the border and, I, and we didn't go. It's kind of sad. This man was on the border of the kingdom of God. Of all the borders to almost cross. This is the most tragic, to not cross it. Here's something to think about. We're seeking to follow Jesus to the cross this season. There may be times as we follow there may be times when he wants us to pass over a border on this journey. He's saying to us, come on, let's go across this border into a region that might be new to you or me. Are you willing to go there with him? Because it may be a place where things are done differently. It may, be, it may mean showing your love and your loyalty to God in a more devoted way than you ever have before. It may involve loving your neighbor in a manner you never before considered. It may mean a level of generosity that you maybe thought only other people did, engaged in. It may mean risking in a way you never thought you would. You may not like it at first. You know, I never desired to go to Africa. I always thought of Africa as a hot, dusty, stinky, and dirty. That was in my mind from what I'd seen in movies and what I'd read. It's a border that I would have never chosen on my own. But now, I tell you, I cannot count the ways my heart has been enlarged the way my life has been changed by following Jesus to Senegal. I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago because of being in Africa. Because of hanging out with people like Adam Asen, Charles and Jai, Awa and Jai. Some of you know what I mean. It changes you forever. The love that God has given me in his kingdom is so much more than I could ever stand up here and describe to you. Living with regret is one of the worst things. 
I encourage you, I, I encourage all of us to follow Jesus closely, even over borders, be they national borders or borders of new experience, mission, service, because across that border is where your real life is to be found. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.